and welcome to the official podcast of The White Tiger, the Netflix film written and directed by Ramin Barani, based on the New York Times bestseller and 2008 Man Booker Prize winning novel by Arvind Adiga. I'm Stephanie Mehta, Editor-in-Chief at Fast Company and your host and narrator. In this series, you'll hear from the filmmaker, actors, and producers who brought this film to life, and we'll delve into the powerful themes, complex characters, and global appeal of this epic and darkly humorous tale about the rise of a poor villager who becomes a successful entrepreneur in modern India. In this episode, you're going to hear from three of the producers of The White Tiger, including producer Mukul Diora and executive producers Priyanka Chopra Jonas and Ava DuVernay. Each of these producers played a unique role, ushering The White Tiger from page to screen and championing this story. Together, their passion for Arvind Adiga's novel and Ramin Barani's vision will bring the story of Balram, a servant who rebels against a rigged and unequal system to become a new kind of master to audiences worldwide. When I read it first, you know, honestly, it just hit me. This book made me laugh out loud. It made me feel angry. It made me feel sad. It made me think a lot. This is the voice of Mukul Diora, a celebrated musician and artist who played a pivotal role in the making of the film. He optioned the book, secured the film's financing and distribution, attached writer and director Ramin Barani, and developed the project. I asked Makul to share his thoughts on the global appeal of this story. This, this story is so universal. For me, it's a story about freedom. It's about freedom and, and freedom's cost. For some people, you know, it's that the cost of freedom is too much for them to bear. So they, they really can't break free, um, uh, which is true for, you know, the vast majority of the world, whether it's a, a domestic worker in, in Korea or in Mexico, as we've seen, you know, in two amazing films, or 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 someone in India, or, or someone in America. The vast majority of people can never, you know, hope to to break break free from from the situation that they're born in. Um, I really felt when I read the book that this would resonate with with anyone in the world who has felt um, the shackles, you know, of a system. Uh, no matter what position these people are in, I think everybody feels the shackles of, of, of a system that they're in at various times in their lives and and uh, the need to, to break free, to, to find themselves, to, to become themselves, and the courage and the sacrifices that you need to reach there. Priyanka Chopra Jonas, who, in addition to serving as executive producer, plays the part of Pinky Madam, actively pursued involvement in the film. I'm really passionate about the book and the story, and now, of course, the movie. I think the one thing about the story that resonates with everyone around the world is is really simple. It's, it's wanting to better your circumstance. I think that's such a human feeling. Um, every single person around the world eventually wants to evolve, eventually wants to grow. Most people, you know, have a sense of ambition and wanting to be better than where they were born or the circumstances in which they were born in and and that sort of you know lends itself to have lends people to have a sense of ambition drive aspiration and i think that's why it resonates with people so much is because everyone at some point in their lives have probably felt stuck and they 
you know, pull themselves out of whatever that circumstance might be. And and I think that's the larger metaphor that really relates with people with Balram's character in this movie is, you know, I'm not going to let my circumstance define, um, my birth define my circumstances or my future. I think everyone came into this movie just really believing in um, the fact that this was an important story to be told. And and that's why I wanted to be able to support it as much as I can, you know, um, be able to take it out there and talk about the movie to, to people so that it's consumed large and wide. And um, I feel like that's my most important job as an executive producer is to be able to talk about why this movie and um, why people should, you know, watch it and... Um, important to everyone who made it. In fact, Priyanka has been actively working as a producer for several years, beginning in India. I started producing about five years ago, five or six years ago, um, and uh, with my production company Purple Pebble Pictures in India. And we focused on regional movies um, in localized languages, which um, we've, we've done movies in Marathi, in um, We've done movies in Assamese, we've done films in Punjabi, in Bhojpuri, um, because the Hindi film industry is a very thriving film industry and I sort of wanted to dabble into um, and lend support to storytelling that, you know, came in from more localized places because I feel like local stories, our stories come from everywhere. The White Tiger also aligned with her values as a producer. I think representation is extremely important when you look around you in the US specifically. Um, the amount of people that you see that come from different diasporas and immigrants um, from around the world, that representation you will not see in, in entertainment when it comes to Hollywood. And I want to be at the precipice of, you know, helping change that. I know a lot of people who are, who are in the business right now are working actively towards creating those opportunities, female opportunities, opportunities for people with color. One of those people is acclaimed Academy Award-nominated filmmaker Ava DuVernay. I asked her to talk about why the story of the white tiger and Balram resonated with her so strongly. This man's voice and perspective is so bold and distinct that he transcends his circumstances and literally creates himself. And even with the many questionable choices that he makes, there's an undeniable kind of pull to his ability to stand alone in the world that I found really hard to shake. I, I enjoyed going through this journey with him. And so much of what we do at Array, um, our arts collective is, you know, with an aim to broaden the lens of storytelling beyond the typical aperture, beyond the characters and tropes and stories that have been seen and centered before. And Balram asks us to see him and invites us to see things through his singular point of view, uh, which is unapologetic uh, and, and really at, at times irresistible. Mukul attached writer and director Ramin Barani to make The White Tiger, and I asked why he felt he was the right filmmaker for the project. I wanted someone who would understand how to, uh, you know, empathize with the, the, the have-nots, the marginalized people, um, and, and really, really be able to go deep into how someone like that would view the world and, and bring that out. And Ramin, you know, has made very empathetic uh, deep, nuanced port, uh, portrayals of uh, of people on the margins, you know, and and their lives. So uh, that was a that was a big thing to start with. Plus, he had spent a lot of time in Iran, um, and I really wanted someone who would be able to understand 
and it's a cliche to say east and west, but you know, on a, on a very broad stroke, that's what it is basically. So it was very important for me to find someone who could balance uh, global storytelling with really understanding the nuances. Uh, plus, on top of that, of course, the book was dedicated to him, and he is best friends with Arvind, the author. So um, here was someone who knew the book, you know, better than me, because he had read drafts of it before it came out. Their connection is is uh, the 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 beating heart of this production. It's very rare that a filmmaker and an author have that kind of personal history. Um, it really animates everything that Ramin did. Um, you know, he he's been thinking about the story long before he was the filmmaker in charge of the story, in charge of bringing it to life. And the poignancy of their connection really is uh, extraordinary. The book was dedicated to Ramin because Arvind and Ramin were friends in Colombia from when they were in college together and um, had a really, you know, great friendship. And who better to know the world of the movie um, than the person who the book was dedicated to? Besides that, um, Ramin is a phenomenal filmmaker. His perspective on the stories that he has told has been very... Um, um, sort of individual. He he really focus on focuses on characters. You know, he does character pieces really well because I really feel working with him as an actor, his strength comes from you know building a world, but at the same time, focusing on what each person is is feeling or where they're at individually. And he was just a perfect choice for this movie. I feel because he's just. He's so deep and he takes everyone with him. Another thing that was really important for me is, um, and this is a subjective thing, but in my opinion, the book was uh, an indictment of humanity, but also a celebration. The ending was like, yes, he made it. It was, you know, it was a triumph for me. It was a triumph, you know, against all odds, basically. Of course, he paid a heavy price, uh, but it wasn't a perfect victory. You know, there was, there was a tangible gain for this person. Um, some people don't feel like that. I felt like that. And Ramin definitely felt that it was a celebration. Ramin Barani being at the helm was a central factor in Ava DuVernay's passion for the project. I'm passionate about anything that he does, anything that he has to say, anything that he makes. So the opportunity to come on board as a champion and advocate for this film and the later parts of its production um, was, you know, an honor. You know, he's a filmmaker who I feel has a, you know, a singular voice, and, and not just a singular voice, but a a worldview that is expansive, much more than in, than even than mine. You know, he has been able to take his tools and his voice as a filmmaker and apply them across different kinds of communities and cultures in a way that very few filmmakers before him have done. You know, there's no film of Ramin's that feels the same. You know the I've seen all his work, but my very, very favorite film is probably a film that's not as talked about as I think it should be. It's, I think it's a masterpiece. It's called Goodbye Solo. And it's a film that moves me so deeply. There's no amount of times that I can watch the film and not be moved on a deeply, deeply emotional level and, and cry at the end every time, even though I know what's coming. Um, and, you know, there's a poignancy to his work, a deep humanity to his work that um, that transcends borders. He can do, 
you know, make a film about, you know, Balram and he can make a film about Solo. He can make a film about, you know, people from different parts of the world, different times and um, and make us be inside of their story. He allows us to, to watch stories from the uh, inside out, not the outside in. I think he's just a remarkable filmmaker and 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 this film, um, you know, is right in line with his with his canon, with his body of work you know, expanding the work that he's done in terms of resources, but always still that beating heart that is, you know, Ramin Burani. I asked Ava how she and Ramin first met, and her answer proved poignant. I met him, um, you know, through Roger Ebert. Uh, he, Roger Ebert was a champion for both of us in our early years as filmmakers and uh, had talked with me about Ramin, and I guess had talked with Ramin about me. and. You know, sadly, we met at at Rogers Memorial in Chicago um, after he passed away, and I was just so overjoyed to be connected with him in this moment, in that moment, and have, have remained connected to him and his work ever since. When the film entered the production phase, the logistical challenges were myriad, as Mukul Diora explains. Honestly, making a movie, any movie, is, is a minor miracle because for everything to come together, for all the actors. The, the crew, the money, and the locations to be available with the permissions. You know, we shot all over India and Delhi on all a bunch of roads everywhere, train stations, very complex places, uh, you know, quite challenging environments as well. Um, and just to get everything together is, is really a minor miracle. I asked McCool to talk about what he was most focused on the film getting right, and he stressed the importance of authenticity. To that end... Ramin made the decision early on to work with a majority Indian crew, and Mukul paid particular attention to the film's use of language. Language is a very important thing, because India's, uh, some of you may not know this, but um, English is one of India's national languages, but it's, India's like, I don't know, a few dozen languages. Uh, we have another national language, Hindi, but, uh, you know, a lot of the things are in English in India. And, and uh, English is a very aspirational language. It's a, you know, a colonial hangover, but, but it's very widely used in India. If you go to the airport, if you go anywhere, all the signs are in English as well as the local language of the state you're in and maybe Hindi as well. But, but English is very widely used. So um, the question was, how do we, you know, the book is in English. So someone, I was talking to my friends yesterday about it and, and they said, oh, you could make it all in English because the book is in English. Yes, we could, but it would just look really weird for an Indian, especially maybe not for someone else, but for an Indian to see a chauffeur, you know, domestic staff talking in English, that would just look weird because they don't talk in English, you know. Um, there is a, also a, a kind of, maybe a class thing with English because English is the language of the um, you know, the more well-off Indians, you can call them the elite or whatever you want, while the the not-so-well-off Indians would aspire to speak English. And that's that's an interesting thing that's played out in the movie as well, the way he tries to speak English and they make fun of him. Um, it's there in the book as well. So we wanted to show language as, a, you know, another barrier for Balram to, to grow. He was taken out of school when he was young. He, he, he didn't have a chance to complete his education like like, you know, tens of millions of Indians. But he, he learned himself on the fly. So how do you integrate that language as a, as a character almost, you know? 
and as a ladder to success, but keeping the authenticity, which is that when he's with his grandmother, when he's in the village, when he's talked to other drivers, other people like him, he can't speak in English because that would just look, even though that's in the book, because that would look inauthentic, you know, to, to an Indian. I want to make sure that it's um, understandable by someone who, who doesn't speak Hindi, but it should be authentic to an Indian as well. And that was a very important thing for me through the whole movie, through this, you know, on the set and everywhere. You know, like this should be in Hindi, this should be in English. No, that's better in Hindi. And in India, you have something called Hinglish as well, which is a, a mix of Hindi and English, where you say a little bit of Hindi and a little bit of English. So there's a lot of people who talk like that as well. And we did that a little bit here and there as well when he was talking to, uh, you know, Ashok and Ashok's family. He was talking a little bit in, and they were doing it as well because everybody does that. You know, everybody speaks a little bit of both, you know. Mukul also understood the importance of the distinctions between the three main characters, Balram, Ashok, and Pinky Madam. Priyanka is the India that is in America. She still comes back. She doesn't really have any roots out here uh, at all. And uh, she represents America in a way in this movie. Um, and uh, you have Rajkumar, who is, who is the mix. You know, he's trying to be forward-looking. He spent time there. But his family is very rooted in the, uh, you know, let's call it oppressive nature of uh, uh, a lot of, you know, of, of the history of, of the haves all over the world. And, and Balram is the new rising, as he says, I am the new India. Each of these people, to someone in the West, would be, you know, three Indians. <laughs> but, but it's not, to an Indian, it's not three Indians. So, um, you know, making sure that's understood for everyone, you know, those nuances, basically, which an Indian would understand straight away, okay, this guy's like this, he's like that, and she's like that. But, you know, someone from uh, New York may, may not. That was, that was definitely something we, we worked on. The White Tiger was published in 2008 at a pivotal moment for the global economy, and Ramin made a key decision to maintain the time period of the book. Priyanka explains the importance of that choice. It was so intentional that he chose to keep the movie, you know, in the early 2000s when the book was written, which is at the turn of the millennium, you know. It was a very different time than um, the world is right now. It was Y2K and there was a hope with the new millennium and there was like, you know, we're going to change the world. And that's the intentionality of basing it at that time is all of these characters are also affected by that. From the, from the 90s onwards, honestly, 90s, 2000s, we were promised... Uh, you know, a new world where everybody would be more equal, there would be social capitalism, poverty would be eradicated, there would be no pollution, um, everybody would have education, health insurance, quality of life. And, and on top of that, you had the, the digital explosion, you know, and connections, everybody's connected now. And that promised, you know, more harmony as well, the end of wars, everything. Um, and, and this book was written somewhere in the middle of that, yes, in 2008, where um, India and China, the Asian dragon and the Asian tiger were, you know, roaring and, and, and climbing up through the economic power index, basically. And uh, capitalism was supposed to, you know, be the answer to everything, globalization. That just hasn't happened. We all know how uh, the free spread of information, you know, and what that has meant, uh, you know, all over the world. Um, you know, the mixed bag that it is. And from having not enough information, now we have an overload of information and the, the real issue is finding out what's real, uh, which is, you know, as everybody knows now, a very complex, difficult thing. At the same time, 
um, disparity not really you know better in any way anywhere in the world so it's like when the book was written there was a chance that the story would have been obsolete oh that's an interesting thing oh that's how it was then but that's not how it is you know it's the same everywhere still if not worse indeed the themes of the book are as urgent as ever and in recent years stories about rigged and unequal systems have connected powerfully with audiences I asked Ava DuVernay for her thoughts on why these kinds of stories are making such an impact. I think these kinds of stories have always always been told, you know, they they're they're being amplified more now and they they have a larger platform, but throughout the history of film around the world, you know, global cinema, you've always seen, you know, whether it's in Delhi or Seoul or even on our own doorstep, people are increasingly um able to tell the story outside of systems that there's a rebellious, rebelliousness and a, a radical nature to the, to, to the telling of stories now about systems that I think um, you know, stand on the shoulders of films that were made within the system against systems. So you have films throughout history that have been about rigged systems, but they have often been made within, the, within a, a system of Hollywood, of an industry, um, and so now with the newfound independence over the last 20, 25 years, 30 years of filmmakers being able to truly make films outside of any system, I think it's heightened, you know, the, the radical nature of the conversations that are being had, the, the you know, the level of storytelling and craft, the intensity of message. Um, and it's all, you know, going to a place that really requires more focused attention, more reaction you know, more action around these stories, which I think is the intent of so many filmmakers that, you know, um, are highlighting these injustices to begin with. Ava also shared what she thinks lies at the heart of the White Tiger's ability to strike a chord across boundaries and borders. There's a truth to it. There's an authenticity to it. You know, there's a line, I'm just one who's woken up while the rest of you are are sleeping. And that's never an easy thing to walk on the other side of a prevailing point of view, daring to challenge the status quo. Um, and yet when it's done in an authentic manner, when it manner, when someone is standing in their truth, it's really hard to look away. An authenticity of purpose and a voice, uh, whether or not you agree with it sometimes, um, is, is attractive, you know, especially in a world where there's, there's so much pretense. As my time with the producers came to an end, I asked what they hoped the audience might be left thinking about as the credits roll. I mean, on the most basic level, I hope that they loved the movie. I hope that they would be moved, you know, the way I was, to be like, to feel, huh, what a story, you know, what an amazing story. And, uh, and, and, and I would hope that they have some questions in their head as well, that, is this what someone has to do to be free? But if you want to go deeper into that, I hope they feel this conflicting roller coaster of emotions as you know, as they follow Balram's, you know, arcs from hopes, hope to hopelessness, as he's continuously trying to, you know, bang his head against this glass ceiling and 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 finally has to pay a pretty heavy price to shatter it. It's uncomfortable to think about the fact that you know, these kind of stories may exist around us. And I think it's important for us as a generation to be awake and aware of um, the world that we live in and and hope to 
change it to a certain extent for the better for the generation that comes after us. And I hope that, you know, some of those responsibilities are outlined in this movie. I leave you with this final thought from Ava DuVernay. The hope is very simple. Leave the film in it with your mind in action. I never want to define what the thoughts will be, but be thinking. That, that's what I hope for the films that I make, the films that I produce and support. It's, this is not uh, fast food. This is not something that you eat and it's empty calories and you forget about it the minute that you uh, consume it and you walk out of the door. We want this to be soul food that sticks to your ribs, that you're still, you're still full many hours later. And, you know, I feel with White Tiger and Oliver Means' work, that he's the kind of filmmaker that the images, you know, become a part of your DNA. You remember um, these characters. You remember the looks on their faces. You remember their eyes. You remember what they said and what they meant and why they said it. And, um, and so, you know, my, my hope is that people watch this film and feel moved to think more deeply about how its themes, its messages, um, you know, the feeling of the film resonates in their own lives. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. The White Tiger is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you've been listening. Thank you for joining us.